think Mike Duffy called them the boys in short pants. And I they're both boys and girls because I've seen them. Women and men. Hello, this is episode 43 of The Boys in Short Pants, the 44th episode. I'm Laurent Carboneau. I hate introducing myself. You're going to do it anyway. Fine. Homie, it's in Rainville. And we have a special guest with us here this week. Hi, I'm Mark Johnson. Uh, the first guest we've ever had who has brought notes with him. So this is, <laughs> this is you're in for a treat. So I first met Mark, how many years ago would it be now? It would be almost four probably, years probably ago? Probably four or five years ago, yeah. When I first started at Public Safety, Mark was serving as uh, Director of Parlor Affairs. And I think eventually he took up the mantle of uh, senior or mid-level advisor of firearms policy. And so I think it's pretty fitting to have him on the show today to talk about the newest gun laws. Bill C-71. An act to amend certain acts and regulations in relation to firearms. Uh, First reading was uh, March 20th, so it's going to kick off a lovely debate that everyone is really looking forward to having. Um, so Mark, why don't you start us off and tell us kind of a little bit about the bill and High the level. background. How does and... it make you feel? <laughs> well, well, look, here, here's the facts. It's, uh, this Feelings is, are for libs. This is, uh, this is Bill C-68 on steroids. This is, this is just a bunch of craziness that they've introduced here. There's three, there's three main pieces that, uh, they've brought forward. Uh, the first is reclassifying, uh, to the prohibited status about 10,000 rifles that are, uh, that are owned by Canadians that they've been sold legally in Canada for the better part of two decades. Um, lots of people have. These are th- worth thousands of dollars. Now, all of a sudden, these are bricks that are going to be sitting in people's closets because you're uh, you're not going to be able to use them in the same way you were before. As long as your closet is locked like a firearm safe. Exactly. Um, the second is uh, um, that they are bringing in, contrary to what their what their platform was in the election to bring in a backdoor gun registry by requiring all sales of firearms to be recorded and for even private sales to be sent to the firearms registrar in Ottawa. Um, and the third piece is, uh, I think, more of a, uh, it's concerning, but it's more of a, uh, more of an academic concern, uh, is that they are just taking away all parliamentary oversight and oversight uh, through elected officials of the classification system for firearms. They're placing it all with the RCMP. No longer will any MPs have any say over uh, over how firearms are classified. So let's let's take all of these issues sort of one by one. Yeah, because there go... are a lot of words in there that I know the people who listen to this <laughs> show, because I turn them onto it, are going to be like, what? And, and let's go through sort of the background of uh, firearms recently in Canada. Um, so you mentioned C-68, Correct? Yes. So you want to tell us, let's start with C-68, because C-68 predates the long gun registry? Well, C-68 was the uh, was the introduction of the long gun registry. Oh, sorry, in, it is the long gun registry. Okay. Yeah. And then the conservatives came to power, promised to abolish the long gun registry, finally did it when they got a majority in 2012? Yep, 2012, the, uh, the uh, Bill C-19, the ending of the long gun registry act was passed. And then after C-12, the next major piece of firearms legislation was, I always forget if it's 42 or 44. 42. It's 42, uh, which is Common Sense Firearms Licensing Act, uh, which it's you common had... Common Sense right in the name. How can you be opposed <laughs> to that? <laughs> exactly. I, I believe this might have been the man who named the yeah. <laughs> And uh, had a heavy say in drafting it. So let's start with, I think everyone has a pretty good grasp of what the long gun registry entailed and sort of the billion dollar boondoggle that it was. Um, let's talk about C-42, the Common Sense uh, Firearms Licensing Act, and talk about what 
changes were in C42 and sort of what prompted those changes. Yeah, sure. So there were, as as it's in the name, it's uh, there's a lot of common sense, uh, <laughs> a lot of common sense cleanup measures that we had been previously planned. You know, we um, we merged. Uh, um, a paperwork piece of paperwork called the authorization to transport. This is something you had to fill out a form if you have if you have a restricted firearms license, which generally means handguns and uh, some types of what. And I hate to use this phrase because it's uh, it's meaningless, but uh, it's some some types of what people call assault weapons. <laughs> um, generally, uh, semi-automatic rifles that fall within certain well, characteristics or parameters. Yeah, yeah. mostly AR-15. AR-15s so are would be restricted. That's a good example of uh, of one. Um, and uh, so, which stands for assault rifle fifteen, right? Absolutely. <laughs> <not>. <laughs> but so these um, these firearms, even though the people that own them. Uh, have a license. They had to go through training. They had to. Uh, they get a background check every single day as a result of their uh, their restricted firearms license. Wait, every single day? Every single day. It's just a rolling thing where oh, in the, if your name is in the database and you're sort of hauled in for a crime, it'll the flag will pop up on your file. I see. And not just a crime, even if you have any interaction with law enforcement. So even if yeah. you're a if you're a witness to something, it'll pop up and it'll flag to the chief firearms officer for the province you live in, and they'll get to review and decide, okay, is this guy, you know, someone who should still be continuing to have firearms. So anyways, despite all of this, um, you know, if you wanted to take your uh, your firearm out, your restricted firearm out of your house, uh, you had to fill out this this form, send it into the RCMP, get it approved. It takes some some period of time. Is it to the RCMP or to the CFO? Uh, to the RCMP. What's to the RCMP. What's the CFO, Tim? CFO is the chief firearms officer. They're effectively the top firearms authority, I, I use you that loosely. Say, you could say officer even. <laughs> officer in East Province. And okay. if I'm not mistaken, is it most or all of the CFOs are provincially appointed? Uh, it's about 50-50. 50% of them are, uh, are are appointed by the RCMP. They're in generally the more traditionally conservative provinces that opted out of the of the um, system in 1995 when this was all introduced. They said, hey, we don't want any part of this bureaucratic foolishness, the RCMP can deal with it. And the more traditionally liberal provinces appoint their own CFO. Ontario has uh, their chief firearms officer is, uh, is an OPP officer. Uh, it's an SQ officer in Quebec, so on and so forth. And I know, so also by way of background, I know that a lot of people in the firearms community have issues with their CFOs and with CFOs sort of approving things on time, being prompt, making reasonable, well-supported decisions. There seems to be a lot of tension between CFOs in some provinces. Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's a lot of, uh, and this was actually part of what was addressed in the Common Sense Firearms Licensing Act, was uh, was CFO overreach. Um, for example, at, uh, at a range in, uh, uh, in the outskirts of Ottawa, there was an issue where um, uh, the CFO had determined sort of Without prompting that uh, the berms behind the range were uh, were not high enough. Now this place had been operating for forty years, never had any problems, never had any safety issues. But they came in and they said, uh, "We've got to shut you down until you go and put a couple tons more dirt uh, in behind the range." Um, and you know, obviously they're going to do it. They they have every every uh, desire to have a safe uh, safe uh, situation and not have any problems with the surrounding community, but. They're coming in and just making these sort of almost arbitrary, uh, arbitrary decisions, and this was part of the uh, the Common Sense Firearms Licensing Act was to allow uh, 
to allow the federal cabinet to uh, to determine, okay, this is this decision or this movement is a little bit of overreach. We're going to say, you know, you don't have to do that. That's not uh, that's not something that you're authorized to do. Okay, so we got a little off track from the ATT. So ATTs allow you to bring restricted weapons not only to ranges, which is perhaps the most common place, but also to gun shows, gunsmiths, things along those lines. Yeah, gun shows, gunsmiths. Um, if you're <clears throat> crossing the border to go, say, hunt, uh, hunting in the states, or go to a gun show in the states, anything like that. Um, if, and prior to the Common Sense Firearms Licensing Act, pretty much any time you had to leave your house with your firearm, you needed to fill out this form, um, and which consequently. Um, wasn't actually shared with frontline law enforcement. It went in a in a drawer um, that this thing was approved, and you went on your way. It was just literally a piece of paper you had to carry with you. And yeah, so it, it served very little purpose. Common sense rolled that into your license, into your pal or your R pal. I think we're going to have to do uh, some quick term <laughs> definitions. So ATT, which said earlier, is the authorization to transport? Yes. Okay. So, and then your PAL is your possession and acquisition license, okay. and your RPAL is your restricted, restricted possession and acquisitions license. Okay. Um, so anyone who owns a firearm in Canada has a PAL, but not everyone has an RPAL. Yeah, exactly. There's about uh, eight to 900,000, give or take, that have uh, restricted firearms licenses and about 2.2 million that have uh, that have regular possession acquisition license. And so the ATT only applied to people who had RPALs because ATTs weren't required for, you know, your standard long guns and Pre- shotguns. Precisely. If you're if you have a if you're going, you know, duck hunting um down in the uh yeah, you know, down in the year back 40, you don't need a uh, you don't need a extra document to do that, but what this was for was for restricted firearms. Um so like assault rifles. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh um what we what what the Common Sense Firearms Licensing Act did was uh, was roll this into your license so that you could take your firearm to uh, your your restricted firearm to any gun range in your province, um, any licensed gunsmith, um, and any approved gun show. And because all of these things are approved by by the various firearms bureaucracy, um, it, this is like a very a very um, narrow uh, narrow lane now. During the 2015 election, uh, Justin Trudeau's liberals um, campaigned uh, rather misleadingly, saying that you can, you know, you can because of these changes, you can throw your uh, throw your handgun in your glove box and drive around to uh, Canadian tires and hockey arenas. Um, completely false, complete misunderstanding of the law. Um, that's that's not allowed. You know, you have to even even if you were for whatever reason allowed to go to one of those places which you're not your uh, your handgun needs to be any any restricted firearm needs to be locked twice mm-hmm. so the trigger lock and then in a locked container and out of the reach of um, any driver of the car so if you have a if you have a car with a trunk it needs to be in the trunk if you have like an SUV where there's no trunk it needs to be as far away from any people as as possible so to sum this all up, the, the idea of rolling the ATT into your RPAL was to sort of get rid of a useless piece of paper and make life a little bit easier for people uh, when they want to go to the gun range or gunsmith or, or wherever. And one of the changes in 71 is it takes away the ATT uh, authorization for anywhere but the gun range. Yeah, it's 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 actually quite bizarre because they um, um, they raise this hue and cry about people driving around with uh, with handguns, this canard that they've that they've concocted. Um, but they still they you're still thankfully allowed to uh, to go to any gun range in your province uh, that you live in without uh, applying for any additional paperwork. Um, 
However, if you need to go to uh, if you need to go with gunsmith, say you know you need to get a new piece or you need, want to get your your gun cleaned by a, by a professional or what have you, now you need to apply for this paperwork all over again. And I mean, this is this is it's bizarre because the uh, gunsmiths are all are all approved uh, and regulated quite heavily. So there's uh, it's not like people are going all over the place. And this is just something that's yet again going to hurt uh, going to hurt small businesses. And part part of it was always that. Um, there, there was a lot of talk about the direct route, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Mm-hmm. That when you're carrying these guns, you can't stop off at Walmart um, and, you know, pick up your groceries. That you have to be very, very direct mm-hmm. going to and from your destination. Yeah. That you're not going to the range and then going to the daycare to pick up your child on the way home sort of, <laughs> sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it did always strike me as a, a rather bizarre change. And, again... So one of the big pretenses for this legislation from the Liberal government has been public safety measures and basically making people fill out more forms when they want to uh, transport their weapons to and from gunsmiths, let's say. Seems like a bizarre way to approach making uh, sort of the community safer because like, if you're concerned about the commission of a crime, this isn't going to impact that. Yeah, I mean, this is this is uh, you, you've hit the nail on the head here. Uh, people that are that are that are going to uh, going to commit crimes, they're not they're not people that are you know going to be overly concerned about oh well I didn't fill out the form. You know, if you go if you go to any of these uh, any of these uh, shooting crime scenes, uh, no one no police officer is going to say well let's make sure we get this guy's pal number because he uh, you know clearly this. Uh, this guy at uh, Jane and Finch in Toronto, he must have had, he must have registered his firearm. They did the drive-by with, you know, this is. I think crazy. I think it's worth noting though that like the profile of gun crime is not just urban, uh, which I think is, is what you guys are alluding to. But I think you know we've seen in Ontario even in the last couple of months like several men who've kind of like jumped the gun sort of and just like you know murdered their partners. Uh, I think almost all those cases were with firearms and. Like I was talking to to my boss, and he's a guy who has a, a firearms license, and he was telling me like, I don't mind this. Like when uh, I apply for my firearms license, every time they call my wife and ask her like, is this you're, a guy who has any issues well, like with domestic violence? Wait, and, you're like, to- you're talking about something else? No, 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 no. I know. I'm just saying that like when you're talking about regulations as being like point because I hear I, I grew up in the states, so this is something I heard all the time, which is like gun laws. Any gun laws are worthless because criminals won't obey them, and it's like okay. But crimes are not only committed by people who are, you know, sociologically deemed by right-wing politicians in the U.S. to be criminals. Like, fair. I think that's a really, really important point. No. So I, I think the the what I what I would say to that is um, the conservative party and I think the broader gun community, uh, more specifically, has always been very supportive of background checks. And uh, in in fact, the the Stephen Harper government invested more than seven million dollars a year, additional to what they inherited from the from the. Yeah, and, and it strikes me in Canada there is a consensus around background yeah. checks as being a totally and, sane and, and, and there is thing and there do. is in, in C seventy one there is a uh, there is a expansion of background checks to uh, to consider um, all life events rather than life events uh, on, on your initial application rather than all life events in the last five years, and I think that. Anything you can do to enhance background checks is good. You know, I have I have some questions about whether uh, how that's going to be implemented because I, I don't think that there's much uh, public safety benefit in you know some guy gets jammed up when he's twenty 
um, in a bar fight or something, and then when he's 40 and he wants to take his kids uh, kids hunting and he can't do it, I don't think that that's making anybody safer. But uh, I think that if if they're if they're doing this right, you know, this, everybody has an interest in keeping keeping firearms out of the hands of the uh, of the the criminals and of the deranged. I don't think anybody's opposed to that. Yes, and to to narrow the conversation specifically about the regulatory burden when it comes to ATTs, I, I think in the American conversation, no such thing exists. No, no, I even, remember uh, you even, know, even people do drive around with handguns in their glove boxes. <laughs> and so, and so, when you're talking specifically about ATTs, like let's let's be clear, this is perhaps the best example in the Canadian context of frivolous paperwork. Well, I was I, I went shooting in New Brunswick last fall, uh, or last late last summer, and um, my partner's uncle, who, who had taken a shooting, explained kind of the, the process to me of, like, you know, having to, you know, put you know, lock and everything and in the box and then uh, in the trunk, and I was like, okay, that seems reasonable, and then he was, and I, I think that sort of regime made a lot of sense and struck a good balance. And then he was explaining to me that it used to be this whole, like, you have to do the paperwork thing. And I was like, that sounds incredibly onerous. Yeah. Like, you have to fax a sheet in every time you want to, like, go and, shooting or something. And it's just like, that sounds like a lot. And the, the, the best part of it is it goes nowhere. Like, if, if there was, you know, some kind of big, you know, database where they were putting, saying, like, okay, well, you know, Mark is driving along this road with a gun <laughs> in his car. Maybe that's of some use to someone. I don't think it is. I don't think that would be good. But, like, at least that would be something. This is just going in a drawer. Yeah, um, which seems, yeah, I mean, I, it doesn't seem, it seems to be obstruction for its own sake, yeah. which, I mean, once again, like, I could, this is with, like, waiting periods on things, like, I can kind of see the value of that, but if it's someone who's already applied for and received a license, yeah. and, like, is a sports shooter or whatever, like, okay, I don't know, that just seems kind of excessive. So, the waiting periods are more of an American thing than a Canadian thing. yeah. yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. We don't Once have again, waiting, waiting I, peri- periods I on not, the purchase of firearms. Not, not specifically. I mean, on on restricted firearms, there will inherently be a waiting period because of the time delay in like registration. Yeah, um, yeah. but there's not. Yeah, yeah. And over not this like legislative hour. Yeah. So, yeah. Ju- and w- just to clarify for for people listening who are are gun people and will be like, "What the fuck is this guy talking about?" I grew up in the U.S., so most of my context for gun laws and gun culture is U.S.-based. Do, do you want to just do a, a <laughs> round of credentials here? This is Laurent's background. I've never shot a gun. That is true. I've shot more guns than a <laughs> But have followed um, uh, firearms policy by virtue of my position. Yes. And, Mark, what, do, what are your credentials on firearms? Uh, well, I've, uh, I've had my, my possession acquisition license since, since I was think I was 18 or 19 and have my restricted license. I have nine guns and... Go shooting uh, as often as I can when the when the weather allows. Do they have names? The guns? No. Okay. Well, I mean they have they have, they have <laughs> no, makes no, and no, models. No, no. I haven't like named them. <laughs> okay. Pet names? Not even one pet name? No. Okay, let's let's no, use no that as a transition. Do you have a CZ or Swiss Arms? I do have a CZ eight five eight, but uh, if the RCMP is listening, I will be giving it away to Mike from Canmore as soon as this bill passes. <laughs> this is the joke that I've seen on a lot of gun blogs. Uh, do you want to tell us about the history of the CZ Swiss Arms? The attempt at reclassification and the controversy about the Canadian Firearms Program and caucus, or and sorry, rather, cabinet classifying firearms, or rather, reclassifying. There's lots. Uh, there's that was lots, a, that was lots a lot. You there. just <laughs> <went> there. Well, <laughs> for everything I said, I'm sure Mark has supplementary details on each and every single one of these points. So uh, I'll I'll try and be as brief as I can on uh, on what's a what's a wide ranging issue of a lot of uh, bureaucratic. Uh, 
foolishness uh, that led to uh, <laughs> led to uh, impact on people's property rights. But so <laughs> to to keep to sort of walk it back in about in uh, 2013. Um, the RCMP unilaterally uh, decided that uh, two types of firearms, the CZ858, um, and uh, which is a um, uh, check word. Check, uh, it's a it's a check firearm, a semi-automatic um, rifle that fires a 7.62 round. Would you call that a? Uh... Um, it's a. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, a lot of people say, "Oh, this is an AK-47." It looks very similar to an AK-47 uh, cosmetically, um, but it operates nothing like an AK-47 uh, from a from a technical standpoint. I see. It fires bullets, um, though, right? It does fire bullets. I see. Uh, uh, it sounds pretty similar to me. Uh, it's like a. Uh, it's like a assault slingshot. Um, <laughs> so the RCMP had decided uh, that. Um, that uh, these these firearms were now to be considered uh, considered prohibited, which means that basically that they need to uh, stay locked away in the in your uh, gun safe, and you can't take them can't take them out, can't use them, can't do anything with them. So when they're so there's what are the different classifications? Actually, this seems like a good thing to get out of the way sure. right now. So there's there's three classifications. There's a non restricted, restricted, so and prohibited. Non- okay, so non restricted is typically most rifles and shotguns. Okay. Um, uh, restricted is mostly handguns and the odd uh, semi-automatic, excuse me, semi-automatic rifle. Mostly things that have short barrels are called like CQB rifles for close quarter battle. Um, and then prohibited is mostly either uh, short barrel handguns and automatic firearms. Okay. Um, sawed off guns. Saw, sawed off shotguns. So yeah. prohibited does that mean you are? No one can have them in Canada except for the military. Uh, okay. Well, and the, and the, or, people, uh, and the people who owned them before uh, before 1995, before the, all of this. Okay, so there's, there's in, a small yeah. number of people that are grandfathered. So it, in, it, I saw, I briefly thumbed through the, the piece of legislation that, that Marcus brought along, because once again, most prepared guest, I think, <laughs> I've seen in a while. Um, no offense to our friend Angela, who, who had a great interview, but the notes this guy brought. Um, it, it seems like there's a lot of legislative reclassification here. Like or at least uh... well, it's it, it actually if I if I can give the liberals yes, go a ahead. little little bit of credit, which I'm normally uh, normally loath to do. They, this is it, it looks more than it is. Uh, it's only two. It's two families of firearms and a couple of variants for each. So there's uh, the the CZ. There's about I think six uh, different types that there are, and then of the um, Swiss Arms family of rifles, I think there's about eight. Um, so it looks like there's fourteen different guns. It's yeah. really it's really only two, but this impacts about. Give or take ten thousand people. Um, contrary to what Ralph Goodale said in his press conference, that it was seven hundred. I'm not really sure where that number came from. That's, that's patently untrue. Um, but uh, um, so yeah, so the, there's the three three categories, and basically your non restricted you can uh, you can use them more freely. There's there's yeah. stringent transport rules, but yeah. these are your typically your firearms that you're used for hunting. And you need the PAL for that. You need you okay. need a uh, yeah. Contrary to the name, uh, this actually came up uh, a, a lot in the last few days that people calling this in the media calling them unrestricted. There's no such thing as an unrestricted. Firearm. I, I believe they used that term in the press release yes, of all things. They, as oh well. boy, they did. Um, I'm hoping that that was a translation error, but uh, um, yeah, there's there's no good ale. That famously French guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you uh, you need you need to have a license, and you, it comes with the background check and the whole and the training and the whole nine yards. Um, and then restricted, you can uh, only fire at a gun range. You can't even fire them on your own property if you have space for such things 
Um, oh, no one tell my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> um, please disregard for any RCMP who are listening to this. Um, and then prohibited, uh, prohibited handguns, you are allowed to take the rage, but prohibited rifles, you're not. Um, uh, C-71 actually changes that slightly because you'll be allowed to use the two rifles at the range that are in this new, this new category. So they're, they're not completely toast. They're just, they're going to be treated more stringently than they otherwise would. Um, and so, yeah, so, so to sort of get back to the backstory, um, the RCMP said that, um, that, uh, these firearms were easily modifiable to be, uh, to be fully automatic. So let's, let's dig into that. Yeah. I, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was because this is on my reading of gun blogs, um, <laughs> of which I know very little about guns. But it was because CZ or Swiss Arms, I can't remember who it was, made some sort of batch of the guns with a receiver or something like that from one of their automatic... Yeah, so there's there's two issues with the CZ858s. There were some of them were because um, there were parts that were used in previously automatic uh, firearms. So, like, they were, they were surplus parts. Um, uh, the, the car analogy, I would say, is, you know, it's a race car got torn down for parts and, you know, the door handles are being used in a... Uh, you know, in a uh, in a minivan, uh, it doesn't make the minivan a race car. Um, but according to Canadian law, you're not supposed to have this, and it's just it's a whole rigmarole. The other part of it was that some of uh, so some of them that were built from scratch, um, they were considered considered to be easily modifiable to uh, fully automatic. Now, um, there's a there's a, the the Supreme Court jurisprudence on this is. Uh, R.V. Hasselwander. Um, that was back from, in 1993. and He's not even using his notes for this the, part. Uh, <laughs> and the, uh, oh, he the, has them? He's barely looking. The, the, <laughs> the definition of, um, of, of uh, convertible, uh, or easily convertible, I should say, is that it's, uh, it takes a uh, relatively short period of time with relative ease. Um, so, if, if I'm not mistaken, um, so let's uh, refer back to my background with this is it like 30 seconds is is that part um, of sort of the rcmp firearms program test is like 30 seconds and they sort of practice and they like get the welding gun ready and they're like no well no so it to do time to trial do, to do this <laughs> yeah. to do this to the cz 858 you would need like you would need parts that are illegally sold in canada you would need uh, a significant tool and die and welding experience and you know this. This is not. This would not, in in my view, come even close to fitting in with relatively short period of time with relative ease. To to use the Hasselwander case, what uh, what was that issue there was to be able to take the trigger group out of a gun and put in a different trigger group to make it automatic. That would take me, or really anyone who knows how to work a screwdriver, about two and a half minutes to do. Um, that is completely different than having to get out the old MIG welder. Um, and uh, and start going to town on the uh, on the receiver. Um, so there's so completely wrong decision um, in 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 my view and in, in anyone who's ever really held any of these firearms view. Uh, so we introduced the, the previous conservative government introduced legislation to um, give uh, to give um, cabinet the authority to uh, to make changes to uh, to bad decisions uh, that were. That were made that pre- previously didn't exist before. It used to be that you could move a firearm up in classification. So if it was empirically fit within the definition of say non-restricted, uh, cabinet would be able to move it to restricted or prohibited. 
AR-15 is a perfect example. AR-15 fits all the legal definitions for uh, for non-restricted, but because they are considered um, more scary because they're they're you know they're black and they're whatever. Um, they uh, the the government in 1995 moved them onto the onto the restricted list. Um, but what what C42 did was allow it to be taken the other uh, the other way, so that that cabinet could deem something to be uh, to be non restricted. So so I I want to talk about that in kind of a broader context. Like for most sort of realms of things where you have classification or, or you know sort of putting on different registries and that kind of stuff. So typically the push that most people ask for is away from political classification towards expert classification. So, for instance, if we were talking about, you know, um, the Patent Medicine Price Review Board or whatever. Ooh, nice, nice name drop there. Yeah, PM, it's, PMPRB. It's a good one. But it, most people agree that that's a good way of sort of doing that rather than having Parliament just sort of like setting drug prices by fiat as much as I would personally be okay with that. Um like, people tend to say, like, okay, well, for this kind of thing, we want to have... Or, like, urban planner's mm. office, where people are doing this with slide rules and, well, presumably not actually slide rules anymore, but, you know, you get the idea. Right. It's towards expert classification and away from politicians who are non-experts, for the most part, uh, setting technical regulations. So, as I understand it, uh, there there's... The RCMP used to classify uh, guns, and it would do so... From what I understand to be technical classifications, though from what I hear from people who are, are in the gun community, which is a hilarious phrase to me, um, <laughs> is that they all hate the RCMP classification of things because, of course, they love cops otherwise. But, like, right. this is the one thing where, like, the RCMP just cannot be trusted to do this correctly and that it should instead go to politicians who are non-experts. So, yeah. So, I, I, I mean... You're right that normally speaking, you don't want to have MPs monkeying around in in very technical issues where they don't have the the background necessarily. Sure. But actually, I think with this, um, because it's such a complicated area that has such a direct um, property rights impact on people, um, because you know, like like for example, the uh, the Swiss Arms rifle. This is like a four yeah. grand, four grand gun. It's been yeah. sold for twenty years well, I mean, in Canada. To be fair, and, though, it's a gun that has like nine other guns inside of it. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, it, it turns into a prohibited uh, prohibited firearm because of uh, because the, the RCMP decided overnight one day, and you know. I pay attention to politics. We pay attention to politics. We all work in or used to work in politics. And so it's great because we are able to know these things. But, you know, ordinary folks that are out uh, living their living their lives um, are not necessarily glued to uh, to these things. And then all of a sudden you're going to get pulled over for a broken taillight and you've got a gun in the back that's now a prohibited firearm. That's uh, that's a couple of years in jail. Yeah. Um, and so that this, this sort of, just to sort of bring it back to your point, this is why... Uh, the laws are problematic because um, uh, you have lists in in legislation and regulation, and that's always bad because the lists are never going to be are never going to be current. Um, and you have this this whole issue with the undefined term variant. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, so what what happens and uh, um, uh, firearms will be uh, determined to be a variant of something else. So okay. for example, with the Swiss Arms. Uh, rifle. It was determined to be determined to be a variant of another uh, Swiss uh, 
rifle that's a automatic rifle. Okay, so if, if I can stop you just right there for yep. one second. So what would strike me as a reasonable process for this kind of thing is that you have an expert board that when something started to be sold in Canada for the first time, mm-hmm. they would do a full technical analysis of it and figure that out right when it was sold and classify it then and not have to change that years down the road for apparently, like, no reason, which yeah. seems like well, what kind of happens here. Yeah, so, I, I mean, to the... To the uh, uh, to sort of play devil's advocate here and take what the RCMP uh, would say is that they they felt that they had previously made a mistake and they were correcting it and this wasn't okay. a change, this was bringing it into what it should have always been. I see. Um, now, this is why having, saying like, you know, gun A is a variant of gun B and therefore should be treated as something here, there, everywhere. It gets, it gets to be too overly complicated. Um, and... Uh, I think the best the best approach is, uh, is something that's been proposed. It's called the simplified classification system, which just basically um, will focus on empirical characteristics. That seems to me to be a reasonable. What way to what fix. what is what is the uh, you know is is it automatic? Then it's prohibited. Um, is it is it less than uh, less than eighteen inch barrel length? Then it's restricted. Is it a handgun? Then it's restricted. Is it longer than eighteen inch barrel length? Then it's non restricted. Because I think this is this is one of the interesting points to talk about. Uh, when we're talking about sort of the specifications that are in uh, legislation, that sort of small centimeter differences in barrel length can uh, take a firearm from one category to the other, from restricted to prohibitive, uh, prohibited, or what have you. But there's also like firearms that a lot of Canadians, I think, would be sort of astonished to learn, like 50 cal sniper rifles would fall under what category? Non-restricted. And this is this is this this comes to actually <laughs> isn't that a surprise to most people? I that is a surprise to me. I mean, this uh, uh, this comes to the bizarreness of how our uh, how our laws are crafted. Yeah. Is if I if I have an acreage, um, yeah. I can go and shoot a fifty caliber rifle in my back forty, um, and uh, you know the same the same firearms that are that yeah. are used by our military in Afghanistan to get the world's longest uh, world's <laughs> longest confirmed <laughs> kill. kill shot. That, was, that was in Iraq, um, I think. Actually, but uh, no, no, it's a new, no, new, we're new not one. Was shooting Canadian. people in Iraq? We're Canadians. We're in Afghanistan, oh, not Iraq. We're, tra- um, we're training people to make <laughs> yeah. records. But, uh, uh, um, but I can't shoot a twenty-two caliber uh, pistol. In, on my own property because it's a restricted firearm. Like right. it, none of this makes any Where sense. The, none um, of this has anything to do with public safety. This is rules for the sake of rules. Where does the rocket launcher land on this? Um, funnily enough, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm excited to see where this goes. Uh, technically speaking, um, uh, RPGs are non-restricted firearms. Oh, now I mean, the the, <laughs> the the projectile, the the explosive, uh, you can't get. But the okay. actual thing, and I think when when uh, when we ended the registry in the last uh, the last a tip of you know anonymized copies of the registry, when I, it turned out that there were like six uh, grenade launchers that people had registered uh, as <laughs> as non-restricted <laughs> firearms, um, because te- technically speaking, I mean it's a barreled. It's a barreled weapon, so it fits the definition of firearm, uh, and it's got a it's got a, a barrel longer than eighteen inches, so it's got to be non restricted. Um, now, obviously, you can't do anything with it; it's just a big paperweight. But uh, like th- this is all like this is all craziness. That uh, like most most people would uh, would say. You know that shooting on your own property makes a lot more sense with a small caliber handgun than a large caliber 
um, large caliber rifle. Yeah, well, I mean, like, I've once again, this is the U.S. thing coming in, but, like, I think there is, like, extra restrictions against high-powered rifles in, like, Connecticut, for instance, which is, you know, densely populated in its urban areas, but not very much so in its rural areas, but the concern is literally that the bullet will travel far enough to hit someone exactly. in an urban area, which seems like, you know, like in that sort of context, like is an appropriate kind of regulation. But like, yeah, that's kind yeah. of ridiculous that we haven't um, considered that. Yeah, it's it's the whole the whole thing is a mess and I think needs to be needs to be relooked at and sort of bring back to uh, to C seventy one. You know, all all of what they're doing in here, they talk about they, they had this big um, this big confab with the Guns and Gangs Summit there uh, last week, um, and they uh, they talked about how you know they want to introduce this legislation to get tough on gangs. Not a stitch of what's in here is going to do anything to take uh, take guns out of the hands of criminals. It's um, you know, fo- fo- reasonable people can disagree uh, about whether or not you know things in here are good or bad. I think that you know introducing a backdoor gun registry and reclassifying people's property is not is not terribly effective. But what people can't disagree on is nothing in here is going to do anything to take a gun out of the hand of a criminal. Yeah. So wait, let's move on to another part of the bill, which is the part that you're calling the backdoor yes, gun registry actually, part. Yes, actually, I want to talk about that as well. Because from my reading of, of the notes I've seen about the bill, not the bill itself, so correct me if this is wrong, but this would require a warrant to access, and it's basically done through sellers, correct? So so there's there's two parts. Um if I uh, if I go into into Cabela's or Sale or what have you to uh, to buy a firearm uh, under this new regime, um, they'll they'll have to record certain prescribed information uh, about uh, about me, about my license, and about the firearm. Um, and most most stores are already doing this to some degree. I have concerns, uh, you know, about what they're going to kind of force on people. Is there going to be some type of standardized software? Like, we don't want to see, you know, the, the Phoenix for guns uh, coming out here. <laughs> Obamacare is... for the internet. <laughs> but, uh, but um, you know... I, most, I love this sort of formulation. Most, of like, most, you most... might end up with hundreds of thousands too many bullets. <laughs> <laughs> most uh, most stores are already doing something largely like this. And yeah, you're right. In order to uh, in order to, for uh, for law enforcement to access this... Um, this these corporate records, um, they're going to need to to get a warrant. Now that's not specifically laid out in the bill, but they've said that over okay. and over. So there will at least be some type of officially induced error if they try to uh, try to overstep, and they'll get drawn out in courts. But um, where where this gets a little concerning to me is in clause five of the bill, where they talk about the the private sales. So um, you know, I I sell a gun to you know if Etchen had a gun license or whatnot, um, I'm not going to sell to him without a gun license because that would be, <laughs> that'd be problematic. Um, but uh, you know, I I, I sell a gun. Um, I the status of the law right now, contrary to what Justin Trudeau said, where people can buy guns without licenses, which is just Total nonsense. But um, is that uh, I have if if I'm selling a gun, I have to satisfy myself that the person who's buying it has a license. Um, now, what this will require me to do is call into the firearms registrar um, and uh, and confirm that uh, that the the buyer's license is uh, is valid, and then they'll record some information. And now. Why, why is it important that you're calling in the firearms registrar? What do you think a registrar does? A registrar operates a registry. And the, uh, the registrar is the person who's responsible for the, uh, for the, um, 
for the restricted and prohibited registry. Now, this this is where it gets very concerning as to what sort of infrastructure they're trying to set up here, because there's there's provisions in the bill that talk about prescribed information that can be added by OIC later that will have to be provided. Right now, in the bill, it says it needs to provide license information. What are what what are they setting up here that's going to be done further down the road? Seems very concerning the way they're setting it up, and you know, and for them to try and say that the registrar is not going to be registering is, I think, a little bit a little bit rich. So let, let me back up to the, and sort of take up Justin Trudeau's comments and things you sort of alluded to. You have a gun that you want to sell. Yes. You have your uh, your AK-47 variant <laughs> that is perfectly legal and it's uh, it's a unrestricted or a sorry a non-restricted firearm in Canada. And I find you on Kijiji, I show up at your place, and I have, you know, $500 cash, and I give it to you. How do you confirm that I have a license today? Well, the the sane way, and the most practical, most common way, is I ask you, can I see your possession and acquisition license? Um, and and that, that would be the way to do it. Now, uh, there, there also is a number that I could call if I want to, to say, is this, you know, license number 12345 valid? Um, and they'll tell you if it's valid or not. Uh, and this this already exists today. You know, there's no um, I you know I saw I saw yesterday in in question period uh, Pam Damoff, the MP for for Oakville North Burlington asked a question a lob question and said you know the uh, the Harper government created a system where you could go into a gun store and buy a gun without a license and this that's just a lie. I mean there's that's illegal. You can't <laughs> you can't do that. And if you know if anyone thinks you can, I encourage them to go ahead and try. Because you'll uh, you'll find yourself out in the parking lot pretty quickly, um, but uh, uh, but so Pam Damoff told me that I could buy this gun without a license. <laughs> it's not a good excuse at Cabela's, is what you're saying. I think you should try it uh, and see what happens and uh, and report back. Uh, I think the listeners will be will be very interested. So one thing you mentioned too is, and I think this does strike people as as kind of like it, it resonates, like it strikes people as wrong. Is that the RCMP or whoever, even if it were political, and I think honestly, letting Justin Trudeau reclassify your guns perhaps a, a bitter pill you may not wish to swallow. Uh, just, just a thought. But um, yeah, so if if something you own gets class like reclassified to prohibited, mm-hmm. and you are no longer really allowed to to own it in the sense that you cannot actually go do anything with it, would it not be reasonable at that point for the government to simply like? buy back at a fair market price a prohibited firearm so they've this has happened in the past um with with some some firearms um this has been done usually usually it's when it's an uncommon thing and it was it was a screw up or it was you know a case of an importer giving fraudulent information and so on and so forth and it's been done where you know the the government says hey our bad you bought this thing you know a year ago and we uh we we made a mistake and we're going to uh, we're going to rectify it for you. Um, the problem with with this situation and with these with these firearms, uh, well, I, I'd say it's twofold. So first of all, there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. um, and and no one because because there's no gun registry anymore. No one knows how many there are. Um, uh, we can we can guesstimate uh, based on. Uh, are they still being sold today? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, um, they, they'll be sold up until this bill gets royal assent. I assume. I um, I looked uh, yesterday on on uh, Wolverine Supplies, which is a great uh, great gun store in Manitoba, um, and they uh, 
They've got the CZ858 up for about uh, thirteen hundred bucks. Um, are they on special? Or are they? Are they? On no, they've uh, they've gone uh, they've gone they've gone they've gone up in price now because uh, once you uh, once you get your hands on one, you'll have one. Your grandfather uh, and your grandfathered in yep. with once this bill passes. Yeah. Um, but as a, as a principal thing, like, would that make sense as an approach? Uh, I, I think it's better than nothing. Um, I think you know it's 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 a tough pill to swallow to have uh, to have your your property turned into not only turned into basically the the world's most expensive paperweight, um, but also to have it that if you don't get the memo, you're uh, you're liable to criminal charges. I think that's a real problem. Um, I think. Paying people to take their property back is at least something, but I think really I think people have a problem with um, you know these decisions that are being made without uh, without uh, evidence based policy behind it, um, yeah. and uh, and you know this this thing they bought uh, to to use for their for their hobby in good faith without harming anyone. Um, getting taken away, I think, is is is, uh, is is tough. Yeah, and to walk back to the classification thing again, it it seems basically the problem is is you have. In a, a virtually unaccountable, unelected, quote unquote, expert body, uh, which for most circumstances is kind of what people are after rather than having politicians do it, but they happen to be really bad at doing it. Uh, yeah. From what it seems like most gun owners say, why is the RCMP so bad at classifying guns? Well, I think the RCMP is is fundamentally in a conflict of interest situation with these um, with with these type of firearms issues um, because rationally you know you're you're an rcmp officer uh, uh who's working in the canadian firearms program you went to depot uh, uh which is the rcmp training academy you've you've trained up you've maybe even served on the front line yourself you have buddies that are serving on the front line it's totally rational to want to make sure that um you know your your guys are going to stay safe and none of these none of these firearms are being diverted into criminal hands understand that impulse entirely but as a um, as a as a political system and as a as a government, uh, these there are competing rights here that need to be balanced. You know, there's people's property rights. You know, we, we, you have the you have the uh, the the right to to own a firearm if you go through the if you go through the uh, the process. And um, you know, we have laws that are you know they're they're a bit convoluted, but they uh, they they can still uh, be be laid on the table and uh, and need to be. Need to be interpreted the way they're written by Parliament and not by uh, you know unelected folks in the background. So the the conservative solution to this, uh, multiple leadership candidates pitched this. Uh, we sort of it was on the to do list at some point while we were in government. Um, was moving the Canadian Firearms Program to Public Safety Canada. So the idea was to get it out of to to cut off this conflict of interest, take it out of RCMP's hands, put it within. Uh, the purview of the Minister of Public Safety, even though RCMP is under public safety, but more directly, but put it into what is mo- what is perhaps best defined as technocrats' hands. Like yeah, like fully, its, own, its own branch, Fully basically. technocrats. Yeah. Its own branch having nothing to do with the law enforcement, no direct connections to law enforcement. And this, the RCMP has been very hostile to yeah. this idea. I, I mean, which I, I, I always find interesting because if you look at the Canadian Firearms Program and the reclassification brings a shitstorm down on the head of whoever is in charge of reclassification every time you do it by the firearms community. A typical department in government who has a file that causes this much uh, grief for them would want to sell it to the nearest person they could. They would hand it off in an absolute heartbeat. 
Why do you think the RCMP is so keen to hold on to the Canadian firearms program and not hand off the shitstorm to public safety? Well, I think I think that the the short answer is that uh, some of the the individuals who are working in the uh, in the firearms program um, have a very ideological um, approach to this, and they have a vested interest in uh, in getting it done. I mean, Murray Smith, who's uh, who's the head of the firearms program, I keep hearing he's going to retire, but it never seems to happen. But um, uh, this this guy's you, been, you're just waiting for the party invite. This, this, this guy's this guy's been there since uh, since Moses was a, was a baby but uh, uh, and, and he's you know and I've, I've sat in meetings with him and he is he's very uh, you know ideological uh, about this issue that he thinks that there should be there should be disarmament and you know that's an approach to take but if that's the approach you want to take I strongly encourage you to run for parliament and uh, and you know introduce some legislation doing it as an unelected bureaucrat I think is, is not appropriate and I think it's uh, it's a uh, uh, it's it's fundamentally wrong because people have no ability to no no one voted for Murray Smith. Right. Um, Mark is going to be very upset with Prime Minister Murray Smith. <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> takes all the guns. <laughs> you know what? Well, Act twenty twenty two. At least if he at least if he gets himself elected, then I can uh, yeah. then I can say you know what if people vote for that. I'll go move to Texas, <laughs> um, but uh, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I think this this is part of the problem. This is part of the concern with with what the liberals are doing with trying to put this more into the hands of of uh, officials. Is that um, you know, no one if, if if they if they run amok, you know, no one has no one has any uh, any uh, ability to do anything about yeah. it. Um, and what, what I find completely odd is that. You know, with with the the national security legislation, the uh, the liberals are are very keen to push parliamentary oversight to make sure we're reining in uh, reining in the officials. But when it comes to firearms, it's uh, it's hands off for parliament. I, I found this contrast. Yeah, I, I I sort of see the same thing. There was a story in the CBC recently about um, sensitive sectors background checks. Mm-hmm. And it noted that under there's some sort of provision where uh, not not declassifying that's not necessarily the right word, but presenting data on people who have had uh, record suspensions and their sensitive sector side has decreased dramatically under the liberals, uh, which is to say that people who have committed sexual assault, sexual violence, pedophiles, take your pick, and they're applying to work at daycares or other areas that this information is being less readily disclosed to uh, employers or uh, NGOs or people working with youth than it was in the past. And that there's sort of a decision being made here to say, okay, well, someone 20 years ago who committed this crime perhaps is at less likelihood of reoffending. But then if you look at the criminal record check elements of this bill, it's saying, no, let's go back to day one with this. But when it comes to sensitive sectors and working around children, they're saying, uh, no, five years ago is enough. We don't need to look past that. Yeah, I, I think it's a very interesting dichotomy that, um, that you know, if, if you got too many... And, and to, be, to be fair, it's going to very much depend on how they, how they interpret uh, going back to day one in, in the legislation. You know, if, if you got too many parking tickets, you know, 100 years ago, is that going to impact you now? It's very unclear, and I think this is something that uh, when this bill gets to committee, I think is is going to be something that that the that the public safety committee uh, really needs to dive into. Um, uh, but yeah, it is it is a very interesting dichotomy to say that well, when it comes to firearms owners, 
um, we need, you know, no stone left unturned. But when it comes to, you know, uh, uh, a, a person convicted of, of pedophilia um, trying to go and coach hockey, well, you know, let's uh, let's let bygones be bygones. I think that's a very strange, strange approach. That does strike me as a little bit odd. Yeah, I, I think background checks are, are fine. <laughs> I have no, I have no yeah. real problem with that in either in either situation. Yeah. I think it's like due diligence is, is good. Yeah, uh, I think employers can then make the decisions they want to make from that point. But like exactly. you know, and they they can judge for themselves whether they think okay, this is a minor offense of whatever kind twenty years ago. This person seemed and your references were good, whatever, and yeah. then you make a decision based on that. But like. Yeah, that seems weird. To yeah, it's, it's, it seems to be an odd dichotomy. You know, I'm I'm all for background checks, and I'm all for <clears> including <throat> the most information possible. It just needs to make sure that this isn't going to be a black and white thing where, um, you know, where it's uh, you get uh, you get turned away because you know you got uh, you got pulled over. Matt Matt Gurney with uh, with um, Global, I believe he's with uh, had yeah. a, was was had an interesting story on Twitter. He uh, uh, he was he's posting about saying that he this uh, this summer or a couple summers ago he. Um, had had gone to the gas station on the way to the cottage, um, tapped to pay for his gas, uh, and drove off thinking nothing of it. A um, couple a uh, couple days later, he gets a call from the local police saying, "Hey, uh, gas station called, said you didn't pay for the gas, and uh, uh, gets jammed up for that." Um, and you know, it was a total misunderstanding. Like never never intended to do anything wrong. Um, and he went uh, went and paid uh, and straightened everything out. But, you know, that's something that's going to show up in police databases. Now, is that going to cause him a problem to renew his firearms license? I don't know. I think it shouldn't. That's, that's quite silly. Um, like, the guy, if the guy, the guy has never done anything wrong, but, you know, he's got this one, you know, one uh, uh, police being called on him for, for stealing gas type of thing. Um, so, th- this gets to a another point that's worth touching upon before we sort of pivot quickly to the political discussion. It's going to have to be very quick. Very quick. What what are the grounds of refusal for a license? And are they appealable? Actually, that's another good question. So they are, they are appealable to, uh, to the federal court. Um, <laughs> to the federal court, you know, well, um, not the easiest form of recourse. No, this no. is, this is, uh, you know, the access to justice here is, uh, is quite low. Um, but, uh, it's it's all within the uh, within the judgment of um, here. I'll, uh, let me let me open up the bill here. and I'll tell you exactly what it is. But the the threshold is within the judgment of the CFO. The grounds. Um, oh, it's not it's not in the actual bill. It's in the Firearms Act, which I didn't bring my copy with. But, uh, <laughs> um, but Most unprepared gifts ever. It's it's, ba- it's basically if you've if you've been uh, convicted of a crime, if you've specifically been convicted of a crime involving violence. Um, and but also they have they have broad authority to uh, to look into uh, into interactions with law enforcement, as well as things like spouse. Like they call your spouse yeah. when you're going through yeah. it and basically say like, should this person be yeah. trusted? And if your spouse okay. says no, not only your spouse, but you have to list any partners, any ex girlfriends. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I think like, once again, partners that is yeah. totally reasonable because yeah. like this is a real problem. Oh yeah, for, <laughs> sure, for sure. I mean, we we saw what happened in 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 Maryland as yeah. as terrible. I mean it. Thankfully, was the situation was ended by a good guy with a gun, but uh, but you know it's 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 a, a guy who um, you know we can we can talk about the, the gun laws in Maryland not stopping what happened, but that'll be the, the next uh, episode. <laughs> the, the, the it was it was a guy who had a had a relationship breakdown uh, who's a, who's a you know domestic violence type uh, type case, very young, um, and uh, and you know went nuts and started shooting at people, and it's very sad. And we need to we need to be we need to be tough on this stuff, and we need to uh, have resources, but it needs to be focused in like an effective, smart way that's that's targeting 
uh, folks who are who are potentially dangerous and you know not penalizing people for making a mistake for the rest of their life. So putting aside your conservative bias, let's just go around the table real quick. <laughs> Uh, good or bad politically for the libs? Depends who, I think, is my, is my take. I think uh, this... I, frankly, it seems like the policy shifts here are minor enough in the sense that they don't really fundamentally change. They just tighten the screws. Uh, that it's, It seems to me basically to be an attempt to cash in a bit on the heat on guns south of the border. Um, that they're going to go back to their, their base uh, and say, look, we've delivered on this. We're going to undo the, the 10 years of evil of Stephen Harper's Mordor. And um, l- look how good we are. I think people in... Liberals have a lot of rural MPs. Mm. I think those people are going to be taking a lot of heat because I think people who are well-informed, which I will say this about the gun community, they are people who are very well-informed about their issue. Uh, you know, I can disagree with them, but I would not want to get into an argument of barrel size with them. Uh, that is for sure. Uh, never want to measure your barrel. Never want to measure your barrel. <laughs> uh, they are going to take a lot of heat. I mean, the gun registry was, you know, probably not a great piece of evidence-based policy itself. And I don't think a lot of people miss it, but people took a lot of heat for voting both for it and against it. And it's just a very, very live wire kind of issue that people feel very emotively about. I think right now it's especially at a high point. So I, I think this will backfire on a lot of their MPs, though it will probably be good for them generally. Mark, what do you say? Yeah, I, I tend to I tend to agree with that assessment. I think that, um, you know, the, the one problem is they've made no friends here. The gun community is mad at them. The gun control community is mad at them. Um, everybody's mad at them. You've got, you know, the, their rural caucus chair, TJ Harvey, you mm-hmm. know, having a freak out and the prime minister yelling at him in caucus and whole, right. whole scene. Yeah. Um, you know, clearly folks are, are feeling the, uh, feeling the heat on this. Um, I think that, you know, some, this will, you know, this will help them. They already put out a fundraising, fundraising email saying that Andrew Shear's taking orders from, uh, from Canada's NRA. Yeah, there we um, go. There um, it is. Yeah. And so, so <laughs> maybe they'll raise some money out yeah. of this, but, uh, you know, I'll, I, I like, always like to quote, uh, Wayne Easter from their, uh, from their last policy convention where he said the gun registry cost them 60 seats in rural Canada. I think it's going to be the same thing all over again. Uh, yeah, I just want to build on what you said and sort of dig down a little more is that the gun control community has not been asking for marginally tighter authorization to transport. Yeah, exactly. No, exactly. Like, this, yeah. this is not the type of policy they're looking for. No no one has asked for the war on gunsmiths. Um, <laughs> you know, this this is not uh, this is not where, uh, you know, our, our uh, the Ecole Polytechnique survivors who have uh, who've sort of been pushing this issue for the last 30 years... Um, this is not where they want to go. They want to go into into bans of, of different things. They want to go into you know into into confiscations and, and and the like. This isn't going to make them happy. This is not going to make really anyone happy. This other other than folks who are low information. Voters. Well, this is this is what I, yeah. This is kind of what I think. I think this is the person who is the average liberal voter. Yeah. Uh, who is you know broadly someone who sees you know, tough on guns and says, oh, that's good. You know, yeah. that's good that they're keeping people safe. And, and they will say, yeah, fine. You know, and that'll... and But the, frankly, that's most people, mm-hmm. right, in Canada, I think, are people who are sort of skeptical of guns. And I say this, yeah. you know, the majority of Canadians live in urban areas. 
I recognize that in rural areas this is very different, and people have very different attitudes so, on guns. But I actually think that's yeah. I actually think it's starting to change. Um, like I say, the as of the last last numbers I've seen, which was for 20, uh, 2016, uh, they haven't put the twenty seventeen numbers there yet. There's two point two million licensed uh, licensed gun owners. Mm-hmm. Um, that number is always going up, and like you know, I I, I have friends who I mean, the Canadian are, population is always who, going up too. True, f- fair point, but it's it's increasing at a higher higher rate than uh, than uh, population growth. But the other thing too is is um, it's becoming you know uh, it's it's like an eat local movement. You're you're raising you're you're, uh, you're harvesting your own your own meat. It's it's becoming like a cool thing to do in in a lot of communities. And I have I have uh, uh, friends who just took the uh, just took the. Uh, firearms course and the hunting course, and they said the average age was about 22. Um, a lot of young women getting involved in this. Uh, it's it's something that the, the demographics changing. You know, this isn't uh, you know Elmer Fudd out uh, uh, <laughs> with his uh, with his blunderbuss there anymore. It's uh, it's a lot. A lot of folks are are getting involved younger, and uh, and uh, because this is this is something that's it's part of our part of our shared Canadian heritage. I would say that Elmer Fudd's age is actually unclear from from the source texts. I think uh, we can't know if he's young or old. Blunderbuss, restricted, unrestricted, or non-restricted. Well, I was actually going to ask if you have like a smoothbore musket. Like, what are you doing? With uh, that? Muskets are uh, are non-restricted. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, they are firearms. Like they, match they lock, are, you, wheel lock, flint lock. Um, does this matter? Largely, you do need uh, unless they're unless they're antiques. You do need a firearms license to have okay. a musket. Um, but I think most of them are going to be antiques. Uh, no, actually, are people still making muskets? Yep, they still, really? They still manufacture this because it expands your hunting season. They're, the hunting season huh. it's, it's like bow hunting it's, it's similar to yeah. uh, similar to uh, crossbows and bow hunting um, it expands your expands but your hunting, hunting with a smoothbore must be a nightmare not really I mean they, you they're they're uh, they're they're large projectiles that is true uh, and uh, you know you 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 get you get one shot but yeah. even, even <laughs> frankly even with a uh, with a with a semi-automatic you get one shot because anything after that is toast I was gonna guess it was gonna be that uh, flintlocks and such were going to be just because of American uh, reenactments <laughs> were so, po- so popular these days. This was actually a, a, well, actually a, a, flintlo- flintlocks are if you're going to do Civil War reenactments, flintlocks are outdated at that point. This is this is a true fact, my friend. Fair, okay, Sorry. fine. I'll, I'll settle. I'll settle for muskets. You have, you have, breech, you have, you have breech loading rifles about the time of the American Civil War. I'm just saying. Anyway, I think that that will do it for us today in our discussion of Bill C seventy one. Mark, thank you so much for this. This well, was thanks, uh, for, uh, thanks for having me. This was incredibly informative. I've learned a shit ton today, uh, and I can actually say that, and I can point to things that I've learned. So uh, there you go. always a good thing. My, my key takeaway is the RPG thing. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> uh, let's do a beer review real quick. Uh, Tim, what was the first beer we had? Uh, I think it was the Elder by Parson Creek, uh, based out of Prince Edward County. Okay, that was it was a stout, of course. I mean, if you've probably listened to the show, you've noticed a pattern with the Tian and Stouts. It was a stout. It was fine. I mean, it was it was good. I, I wouldn't say it was anything exceptional. A lot of coffee and chocolate notes, just so Etienne doesn't say it. You're wrong. It was, it was <laughs> in fact, very good. They, it was uh, good. I mean, it was, it was good. They do about six different stouts. Um, Are you that, kidding? No, 100% serious. There's, like, the Elder, the Father, the Son. The Holy Spirit. Uh, Holy Spirit is not one of them. They're all, some are barrel-aged, some aren't, some are more coffee, more chocolate, so this, oh, I, I, I found... The, the two genders. <laughs> so it's actually come in two genders, coffee or chocolate, and this is the nice balance. Kind. <laughs> the, the nice balance between the two. Uh, the second beer we had was, uh, it's from Trou du Diable, which we had a beer from the other week, uh, Les Quatre Surfeurs de 
l'apocalypse. The four surfers of the apocalypse. Which is a a tropical strong beer, which, speaking of bizarre and arbitrary classification, um, yeah, Trou du Diable loves their bizarre and arbitrary classification. This was good. I liked it a lot. I think it was a fruity IPA. Yeah, it was was like a East or a West East. East Coast. East Coast type, yeah. yeah it was yeah. good. I like that quite a bit. How about you, Mark? Which one did you prefer? I preferred the second one. Yeah. Uh, second one? Yeah. I'm not, not a big Stoke guy. Not a Stoke guy. <laughs> You're never coming back to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. That will do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, we will see you next time. Bye-bye.